What happened to my church? This is a question I get all the time in emails, in direct messages, sometimes people just asking me person to person, peer to peer, asking what on earth happened to our church? If I look back at the history of Christianity and how Christians did Christianity for the past 2,000 years, my congregation just doesn't look like that. Heck, I look at TikTok and I see all these pastors dancing in front of the, uh, you know, the global American empire flag and saying all sorts of things that just don't comport with the heroes of the faith of old. It doesn't sound like Bible. It certainly doesn't sound like theology. There's no Augustine here. There's definitely no Chrysostom here. What happened? Martin Luther must be rolling in his grave. It seems like these people out there, they claim to be Christians, and they're running these churches, and it's just not Christian. Maybe they talk about Jesus, but it doesn't feel like it's the same Jesus. It's this corporate Jesus, a mascot that somebody came up with in a think tank. And I get asked, how did this happen? Well, Today, we are kicking off a new series where we are going to be reading and evaluating one of the big figures, one of the most influential figures that made a lot of churches like this, Paul Tillich. We're going to be reading Paul Tillich's Systematic Theology, and we are going to be evaluating his talking points. Now, for those of you who don't know who Paul Tillich is... He is one of the most influential theologians of the 20th century, associated with Bonhoeffer, a man who influenced Martin Luther King Jr., a man who also had a great relationship with Karl Barth, the guy who established quote-unquote neo-orthodoxy. He was a quote-unquote Lutheran theologian who did his best to proclaim the word while also fondling his female students and having affairs with many different women, almost everybody except his poor wife, second wife, because he divorced the first wife after having an affair with who would become his second wife, a woman who was a frank and crass lesbian. And he influenced philanderers like Martin Luther King Jr. And no wonder he was a good friend of Karl Barth who tormented his wife with his decades-long affair in which he invited his mistress to live with them. Ah, yes, that Paul Tillich. Influential figure. Piece of garbage. Tire fire of a human being with even worse theology than his personal life would suggest. This is Paul Tillich, the freak, the jerk, the predator, the man who had sadomasochistic pornography and letters, sometimes written by his own hand, that he begged his wife to burn on his deathbed so nobody would figure it out. It is from her memoirs and the memoirs of her children and his associates that eventually verified all of this, that Paul Tillich was a piece of crap a degenerate dumpster fire who, like his fellow travelers in the neo-Orthodox and liberal Christian circles, betrayed the faith in a whole lot of ways. Funny how that works. A lot of leftist theologians and liberal Christians 
having personal lives that dishonor Christ in every single way, advocating for theology that dishonors Christ in every single way. Now, unfortunately, it seems to me that this systematic theology textbook that he wrote, which is massive, is not in the public domain. We will not be able to have the same amount of fun we had with the Dead Sea Scrolls of reading every word and every sentence and commenting on every little thing. But the terms of fair use say that I am allowed to read pieces of it to you for the sake of critique and review. I can go through each section in his book, each chapter and header, each little miniature article he wrote for this book, and go through it with you pick out the choice quotes, get the sense of it, and we'll talk about it from there. So here is from his introduction, A, the point of view. How do we first look at theology in Paul Tillich's eyes? Theology as a function of the Christian church must serve the needs of the church. Okay, we hear that and we go, well, okay, I can see how that is. Theology is for the church. Theologians instruct and teach the church according to the teaching magisterium established in Ephesians chapter 4. Sure, fine. But immediately, immediately Paul Tillich decides a theological system is supposed to satisfy two needs, two basic needs. The statement of the truth of the Christian message and the interpretation of this truth for every new generation. Oh, wait. Oh, wait. Why would he say that? The statement of the truth of the Christian message? Sure, but then the interpretation of this truth for every new generation. Are we saying that new generations subsequently need new interpretations? That something happens to the church such that we need new doctrines or new quote-unquote interpretations? Well, he goes on. Theology moves back and forth between two poles the eternal truth of its foundation and the temporal situation in which the eternal truth must be received. Oh, okay. We're starting to get to Paul Tillich's relativism here. You see, for Paul Tillich and everything he writes in his introduction, the idea is the quote-unquote situation, which he defines as the economic, political, cultural, let's call them vibes in every era. These have to be taken into consideration so that the church presents the eternal truth just differently. Now, don't be charitable to this guy. He is not saying that we have to modify the presentation of our message and interpretation of Holy Scripture in order to suit the hearers. It's not like a missionary going to people who have never heard of Jesus before and having to learn about that culture and show them the comparison. Oh, Roman centurion, you say that the empire is like the body of the emperor, while our scriptures state that the church is the body of Christ. There's kind of some common ground there that we can talk about, but let me show you how that's different. Oh, they kind of understand what I'm talking about, and now I can talk about the nuance. That's not what Paul Tillich is saying here. To the contrary, he says in the very first chapter that they 
or traditional theologians, confuse eternal truth with a temporal expression of this truth. This is evident in European theological orthodoxy, which in America is known as fundamentalism. When fundamentalism is combined with an anti-theological bias as it is, for instance, in its biblicistic evangelical form, the theological truth of yesterday is defended as an unchangeable message against the theological truth of today and tomorrow. What does that mean? Let's unpack that relativism. If you hold to the Bible as the word of God, and you hold, say, to the plain meaning of Scripture, and if you hold that that means that the message does not change, the core truth of Holy Scripture is understandable to all people, it is perspicuous, well, then you are confusing eternal truth with this temporal expression of it. Don't you know that you got to get with the times? How is this man a Lutheran theologian? Who called him Lutheran? <laughs> the Book of Concord puts its stamp of approval on eternal truth and eternal interpretation of that truth, a.k.a. fixed messaging. But he wants us to say that, well, no, the things we tell people have to change in order to get with the times. Now, in case you were thinking... Maybe for the good of this conversation, you should be charitable to Paul Tillich. He is not charitable to you. What does he say further about fundamentalism or orthodoxy, where you actually take God's word like seriously and stuff? Fundamentalism fails to make contact with the present situation, not because it speaks from beyond every situation, but because it speaks from a situation of the past. It elevates something finite and transitory to infinite and eternal validity. In this respect, fundamentalism has demonic traits. It destroys the humble honesty of the search for truth. It splits the conscience of its thoughtful adherents. And it makes them fanatical because they are forced to suppress elements of truth of which they are dimly aware. That is a full-blooded attack on the Bible. That is a full-blooded attack on everybody who says the Bible is true. That Christian doctrine is true. What he is saying is, if you claim that you found the truth, you are a demon. Because in all honesty, you're supposed to continuously search for the truth while never actually getting there. Now that is why your church has changed. People listened to Paul Tillich and they went, well, if I don't have the truth, I can kind of do what I want while saying that I'm searching for the truth. Thanks, Paul Tillich. With these sentences claiming that it is demonic, to hold to the scriptures and to hold to the interpretation of scriptures from 500 years ago, 1,000 years ago, 1,500 years ago, or going all the way back to Christ interpreting the Old Testament for us. Within the first page of his book, Paul Tillich has let you know that the chief god of his real pantheon is change, and you'd better start making some sacrifices, or else you're a demon. 
Now, when he talks about the quote-unquote situation, his personal buzzword that he likes to use to slam down on the haters, those icky fundamentalists, here's his definition of it again. It refers to the scientific and artistic, the economic, political, and ethical forms in which they express their interpretation of existence. The situation to which theology must speak relevantly is not the situation of the individual as individual and not the situation of the group as group. Let me translate that for you. The situation, quote-unquote, is the manifestation of the enemy of the church known as the world. The scriptures teach that we have three enemies, the world, the flesh, and the devil. The world is organized humanity seeking what Eve sought in the Garden of Eden, to become God, to be worshipped. The world goes through many changes, but the biggest defining characteristic of it, and the reason it has always persecuted the church, is the fact that the world wants to be God, and God says no, and Christians say, sorry, but we worship Jesus, and the world says, now I'm going to persecute you. Paul Tillich's opening salvo against real Christianity is to claim that times changing means that the church has to accommodate the world better according to each change. Give up your orthodoxy. Be willing to give up your doctrine. Because after all, you need to be searching for the truth, not really getting to it and proclaiming it. And, as we all know, when you give up truth, everything is permitted. You want to know why your churches suck right now? It's because of this guy here giving them permission to suck. Now let's keep going here. It's interesting when he talks about the situation. The situation to which theology must respond is the totality of man's creative self-interpretation in a special period. Fundamentalism and orthodoxy reject this task. And in doing so, they miss the meaning of theology. Now, our Lord Jesus says in John chapter 15, verse 18, If the world hates you, know that it has hated me before it hated you. If you were of the world, the world would love you as its own. But because you are not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. Remember the word that I said to you, a servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. If they kept my word, they will also keep yours. But all these things they will do to you on account of my name, because they do not know him who sent me. If I had not come and spoken to them, they would have not been guilty of sin. But now they have no excuse for their sin. Whoever hates me hates my father also. So, the world and the church are at odds. The world and the Christian are at odds. And during Paul Tillich's time, there was all these supposed scientific advancements and man coming of age or whatever. And instead of saying, wow, the world is changing up its strategies, maybe the church should figure out how to answer their objections, Paul Tillich says, mm, we need to surrender and talk about Jesus at the same time somehow. Uh, if, you're, 
saying the world's activities are bad, then you're not a real Christian. You're a demonic fundamentalist. We need to give in to everything the world says, or else we're not doing a very good job as Christian theologians. If you see a pastor or a denomination or a church or whatever that has the same social theological proclamations as the Microsoft HR department, you have Paul Tillich to thank for that. He is the one who gave everyone permission for it. Now, surely, he was not the first quote-unquote Christian theologian or pastor to say this stuff, to preach a total surrender to the world's values and moralities. But if liberal theology was the Christmas present that's full of dog poop, you know, you unwrap it and everything, and all that's there is just a bunch of dog crap, He's the guy that put the philosophical theological bow on top that made it just appealing enough for wayward Christians to open it up and then decide maybe I guess I have to accept this. Oh my goodness. So we also notice here he has not quoted the Bible. He's not started his systematic theology with the Bible at all. For him, that's a feature, not a bug. From the preface here, what does he say? The elaboration of the line of thought has consumed all effort and all space. The biblical and ecclesiastical character of the solutions to theological problems presented in this volume will not be difficult to recognize, although it is more implicit than explicit. In other words, he's not going to be using the Bible for his theology. This is not a Lutheran theologian. Whoever called him Lutheran is somebody that has conveniently forgotten. This guy should have been kicked out to the curb, excommunicated, as soon as he started talking like this. I don't know why the Lutherans accepted him. Oh, but he's not sola scriptura. We understand that 100%. This is not a sola scriptura guy. In fact, he believes in adding a whole buttload of philosophy to everything, which is why he talks about a continuous correlation with philosophy. Ah, yes. For Tillich, scripture is not the only rule and norm of faith. No, it needs a lot of philosophy. Now, don't worry. You might be a little concerned here about this quote-unquote theologian here saying outright he's not going to use the Bible. You're supposed to read in between the lines for your systematics. You know, systematic theology where you compile all the data from Scripture and say something with it. <laughs> no, you might be concerned because he's not doing that. And he's not even going to care that this is actually Christian or not, because he talks about surrendering to the world. Mm -hmm. But don't worry, he still has some sort of theology to present to you, and he calls it charismatic theology. That's his wheelhouse. How does he define that? Charismatic theology is related to fundamentalism and orthodoxy insofar as it emphasizes the unchangeable truth of the message, kerygma, over against the unchanging demands of the situation. Oh, really? Hmm. What unchanging message? What is the message? I don't know exactly what he thinks the message is yet.
It's probably something like love. We're going to proclaim love. He'll eventually get to it in this nice big thick volume here. But we understand that uh, he does not really agree with the inspiration of scripture. So we're going to have a hard time identifying what it is exactly the theologian is supposed to proclaim. After all, here's something he says further on charismatic theology. It tries to avoid the shortcomings of fundamentalism by subjecting every theology, including orthodoxy, to the criterion of the Christian message. This message is contained in the Bible, but it is not identical with the Bible. It is expressed in the classical tradition of Christian theology, but it is not identical with any special form of that tradition. Oh, really? Hmm. So he has a message that he's not identifying that he thinks is expressed by those dastardly demonic orthodox and fundamentalist believers out there. But, well, he's not going to say the Bible is 100% wrong. It certainly has the message, but just like all these theologians in the past, the Bible just expresses it, you know? This message that I think should totally change with the times. But in case you were worried... This man is so relativist that he doesn't believe in any sort of truth. Because he, he believes in a truth, just that you're never supposed to really get there and proclaim the contents of that truth. Don't worry, he believes in apologetic theology. Answering theology. Now, not apologetics, qua apologetics, where you defend the Christian faith. Oh no, no, he has nothing but disrespect for that. Here's how he characterizes Christian apologetics that were actually being done in his time. Whenever our knowledge advanced, another defense position had to be given up. But eager apologists were not dissuaded by this continuous retreat from finding in the most recent developments of physics and historiography new occasions to establish God's activity in new gaps of scientific knowledge. This undignified procedure has discredited everything which is called apologetics. Of course, that's wrong for him to characterize the business of apologetics, which is defending the Christian faith, as just, oh, silly, stupid God of the gaps theory, and that's it, nothing more. Obviously, no. Christians were hard at work actually answering the objections that people were raising and defending the Christian faith against them. It was not all a bunch of God of the gaps nonsense. In case you weren't aware... He was writing this in the 1950s, when C.S. Lewis and Gordon Clark and all sorts of other powerful Christian apologists were out there doing apologetics without resorting to the quote-unquote God of the Gaps theory. To the contrary, I don't think I've ever seen a real apologist use God of the Gaps as an actual argument in their apologetics. But see, he wants to redefine apologetic theology as quote-unquote answering theology, saying it answers the questions implied in the situation, in the power of the eternal message, and with the means provided by the situation whose questions it answers. In other words, 
no, you're not actually defending the Christian faith. In fact, you're kind of hollowing it out on the down low. But what you're doing is you're presenting yourself as this super wise sage that people come to and ask questions to in order to hear the eternal message that just so happens to be whatever Paul Tillich wants it to be, to the point of not even utilizing scripture to answer questions. He says, even charismatic theology must use the conceptual tools of its period. It cannot simply repeat biblical passages. Well, watch me, dork. The Bible is the eternal truth of God. God's word does what he says it does. So I'm going to stick with that. I'm not going to submit to the framing and language of the world like Paul Tillich wants you to do. As we move forward, actually examining this modernist theology, we have to keep in mind that all of his fancy words and all of his philosophical groundings and everything are really just a pretty face on ugly syncretism, claiming that the church needs to surrender to the world in order to continue existing. That is why he says... The continuous toil of those who have tried to find a union, a synthesis, has kept theology alive. Oh, yes. He wants you to synthesize what the world says and what Christianity says. So you can hollow out the faith and put the world in it and still claim you're a Christian. Just like all those modern churches that you see that are not Christian in the slightest, except for the paper mache sculpture of Jesus out there that the Sunday school kids made. Ah, who am I kidding? These churches don't have kids in them. So many people out there left these churches with their kids, and people that want to have kids and families, generally speaking, take their kids out of these churches because these churches have nothing for those families. Just about nothing. After all, his goal is not serving the church. It is not. He said that theology is supposed to serve the church, but what's his real goal? An honest theology of cultural high standing. That's right, everybody. Paul Tillich wants to let you know that David Frenchism can be applied to theology. I want a theology that gets invited to the cocktail parties in New York. I want a theology that gets me a nice tenured salary at a university where I never get in trouble for saying the name Jesus. Because that Jesus that I proclaim is whatever the world wants him to be, not the real Jesus. Now, he's clever. He does do an in before regarding theological method. If you talk about the Bible and what the Bible says... He is going to rebuke you for attempting to do, quote-unquote, scientific theology. Let's read this uh, very important paragraph. Attempts to elaborate a theology as an empirical, inductive, or a metaphysical, deductive science, or as a combination of both, have given ample evidence that no such attempt can succeed. He's not really Lutheran. He doesn't believe in just collecting what the scriptures say and then wording them in such a way that people can understand it. Oh no, he does not like real systematic theology. And why is that? Because you could never really read the Bible and get at the truth of the matter, you see. 
If you think you can understand the Bible, you have a problem because you've had experiences. You have like a name and you were born in like a place and that means you can't understand anything. In every assumedly scientific theology, there is a point where individual experience, traditional valuation, and personal commitment must decide the issue. This point, often hidden to the authors of such theologies, was obvious to those who look at them with other experiences and other commitments. If an inductive approach is employed, one must ask in what direction the writer looks for his material. And if the answer is that he looks in every direction and toward every experience, one must ask what characteristic of reality or experience is the empirical basis of his theology. Whatever the answer may be, an a priori of experience and valuation is implied. In other words, the scriptures are not perspicuous, they are not clear, and there is no way to formulate dogmatics or systematic theology because you're so stupid, you see. You're blind to the fact that you have experiences and commitments and like opinions and stuff that make it virtually impossible for you to give a real, intellectually honest, systematic theology. At least according to Paul Tillich the Lutheran theologian. He's claiming you cannot do dogmatics. You cannot do anything systematically because you have experiences and stuff. Therefore, your opinion is null and void. Now, this would totally not apply to Paul Tillich, right? This would totally not apply to any of his personal commitments or ulterior motives, like being a disgusting sex pest, would it? Oh no, clearly not. I totally think that this guy was amazingly honest in everything that he said. Sorry, threw up in my mouth a little bit there because clearly this is him excusing this weird antinomian neo-theology that is not theology at all. In case you're angry about this. In case you're like, well, no, I'm going to do systematic theology. I'm going to go ahead and read Mueller or Peeper or, I don't know, even Schofield was a better theologian than this. And he's one of the worst theologians of all time. It shouldn't even be called a theologian, really. But in case, in case you want to say that, yes, I can and yes, I will, watch me, dork. I'm going to look at what the Bible says and I'm going to do theology. Or if you're a Roman Catholic saying, I'm going to look at the Bible and what tradition tells me, here is Paul Tillich to let you know, you're not a theologian at all, pal. You don't qualify. Why? Because there's one criterion for the theologian. One criterion alone can be applied. A person can be a theologian as long as he acknowledges the content of the theological circle as his ultimate concern. What does he mean by that? He means that the theologian cannot set off on his own to do theology. And nor can he just 
set off and do theology with the help of other theologians. He can't just pick up a Bible and do theology. Oh no, you need to be part of the theological circle, which is the mystical a priori commitment of theologians together. Everything that they're going to eventually agree on. You know, this sounds just a little bit like you gotta agree with the faculty or else we're gonna kick you out of the university. And that's ultimately his goal. With this introduction to Paul Tillich's systematic theology here, we are getting at the root of everything he wants to do. His thesis statement for the very beginning of his textbook on systematic theology has proclaimed that the church needs to suck up to the world, give up the truth, pretend to seek the truth, not defend the Christian faith with real concrete answers, and Christian theologians really ought to be accountable to people like Paul Tillich, or else they're not theologians at all. And they can't do anything to actually do theology. That has to be up for the mystical magisterium of Paul Tillich and his buddies. But for the average Christian, and for the average pastor, we'll just make whatever you want out of Christianity. It's a wax nose. With these few pages that we've gone through, we have set the stage for Paul Tillich personally mutilating the Christian faith with a rusty butcher's knife. And oh yes, next week we will get into what he thinks theology is in the first place, because he hasn't even defined it. He spent all this time arguing for Christians to be worldly syncretists, for the Christian church to basically just be another arm of worldly society. He hasn't even bothered to say the word God, or even talk about God. So theology, the word that means literally the word concerning God, is not even on his radar. Maybe we'll get a definition, a working definition that's really nice and stuff after that, but uh, don't expect it. <laughs> I'll catch y'all next week. Amen and amen.